Well, it's just lovely just to join in the heart of the house of God to be able to worship together. And I have to say, it's lovely being with family. I know we've appreciated your prayers and your support over this sad time for our own family in the loss of, of my dad. But we've been so upheld, we've felt your prayers, and so we just want to thank you on behalf of the family. Well, we're here because we love the Lord. One day, all the Lord's people, all who put their trust in him, we're all going home. <laughs> some of us get there faster, and some of them are there waiting for us. And so we look forward to that day when we shall be reunited with the Lord's people. And I know some of you here have lost loved ones too. There are those who you may have grown up with. You've heard them preach the gospel to you. Your Sunday school teachers. What a day. And sometimes I think we lose that vision that living in this world, we have to remember it's in order to get home. <laughs> we're, as the old gospel hymn says, we're just passing through. And so this morning, I pray that you'll get a glimpse of the heart of Christ as we live for him. And so we're going to be journeying to the cross this morning in our studies but let's worship the Lord together as we sing in our opening hymns.
Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Let's pray. O our loving Heavenly Father, today we continue on our journey from Calvary to glory. Within the shadow of the cross and the victory of the resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit, leading us into the rich truth that Jesus truly is King of kings and Lord of lords. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Lord, we offer now the praises of our hearts. Oh, may you be adored, cherished, loved, and honoured this morning. We seek to worship you in spirit and in truth, for your ways are righteous and true. And we acknowledge that your ways are far greater than our ways, your thoughts far deeper than our thoughts. And so we thank you for your great plan of redemption in the finished work of the cross of Calvary. For we can now enter the veil boldly and with confidence, experiencing new life in Christ through the power of his resurrection. And so, Lord, we enter in to your presence here this morning. For Jesus has made such a beautiful way. For he has made all things new. Lord, therefore this day we declare the steadfast love of the Lord. For your loving kindness endures forever. And so take us deeper into your presence where we can experience the light of your love, the immensity of your forgiveness, and, oh, to taste of your mercy and grace once again. And as we surrender our hearts to you in worship, oh, may the sweet fragrance of Christ fill each heart here today. And those listening online, those at home, Lord, fill their homes with that peace that goes beyond their understanding. And so, Lord, reveal yourself to us through your word and move our gaze from the things of this world to the glories and riches of Christ, our soon-coming King. And as we bless you and thank you for, your for these precious moments together, Jesus, we now share in your sweet prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. <coughs> well, we take our Bible reading this morning from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. And there at verse 21 through to 28. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples 
that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. I tell you the truth, some of some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Amen. And may the Lord bless us the reading of his precious word. Well, we'll return to our reading there in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 16. And we're now coming to that journey that Jesus is now going to make with his disciples to Calvary. But notice that they now come to Caesarea Philippi, a quiet place to be with Christ. Oh, they need that. Before they go to the cross, they need to find that quiet place with Christ. And Jesus brings his disciples to find rest, strength, and especially strength for the journey that's going to come their journey to Calvary. Well, we notice now that in Matthew's gospel, Matthew's been building up to to this. Now, we will be returning to the Beatitudes uh, after Easter, but as you go through Matthew's gospel, you'll notice they have real excitement in the heart of Matthew. His gospel is just building one step upon another, And we are coming now to this place in chapter 16 where Matthew gives us such a view of Christ. Right from the beginning of his gospel, he's been reminding us he's greater than Abraham. He's greater than King David. He's a greater than Moses. He's a greater than Solomon. He's a greater than Jeremiah. He's a greater than the prophets. He's even greater than John the Baptist. He is the Christ. Matthew gets it. He's received such a revelation. He knows that Jesus is God in human flesh. He knows that God has come. This is Emmanuel. This is the promised king. Thousands of years have promised that a king is coming. A champion will come to deliver his people Not from Rome, but from their sin. That's the problem with the world today. Many people will say, oh, if you believe in God, why is the world in this mess? I can tell you, sin. (laughs) That's the reason the world's in this mess. But God, from the very beginning of time, promised a champion is going to come. And he will deliver us 
from sin that's caused such a mess as Satan came into that garden tempting Adam and Eve. And soon as sin entered, the world fell in ruin. And that's why we see what we see today. That's why we see sickness. That's why we see wars and rumors of wars. That's why we see the Ukraine and Russia and Iraq and Afghanistan. It's not where is God in all this. It's look what sin can do. And so Matthew, oh, what a view of Christ. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us, even in the mess, even in the chaos. But he will come and he will deliver us. He is our rock. He's our cornerstone. He's our foundation. And as we continue in chapter 16 of Matthew, Matthew also gives us a, a, a view of the church. Notice, he sees Matthew, here's, here's Matthew as he describes the church. He said, look at Peter, Petros, Peter the pebble, the small wee stone. Peter is a pebble. And Matthew wants to highlight, but Jesus is Petra, the rock. What's Matthew saying? He's reminding us that the church is built upon, not Peter, not Petros. We're not built upon the Petros. We're built upon the Petra, the rock himself, Christ Jesus is our foundation. He's our message. He's our life. Jesus is the rock of our salvation. Not even hell can prevail against us when we abide and stand in Christ alone. The church is not to be built upon traditions. The church is, was never meant to be built upon ceremonies and religious exercises. We're to be built upon Christ himself in relationship. Go through John's gospel and you see the same theme arising, that we're to abide in Christ. We're to know not a religious belief about Jesus, but we're to abide in him, that we're to know a relationship in Christ. And this is why Matthew reminds us that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church who abides in Christ. Those who are living in relationship to Christ, you're the church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against you. But if you go through church history, you'll notice that Boy, the gates of hell have prevailed often. But it's often because maybe a church has been distracted and they've caused their foundations to be their traditions. And churches will crumble and fall if that's what we're built on. If we're just built upon our religious exercises, coming to church Sunday by Sunday, if you think that's the way church will survive the centuries, it's not. It's those who have come into a heart relationship with Christ. And that's why Paul tells the church in Rome, 
And when you know your heart at rest in Christ, when you've come to know him, nothing will ever be able to separate you from the love of God in Christ. Nothing, absolutely nothing. When you've put your trust in Christ, you're secure for all eternity. Isn't that lovely? When you surrender your heart to Christ, when you say, Lord, forgive me. May I know your mercy and grace today. I can't get to heaven without you. I know my sins. And Lord, I know that there'll be no sin entering through the gates of heaven. And therefore, Lord, you must cleanse me. You must forgive me. Lord, I trust you. When we come to that place, and when we, and when we put our whole trust in Christ, abiding in his finished work. Remember when Jesus went to the cross for your sins and for mine, he said, it's finished. I've done it. That's what Calvary's about. It's a reminder that he paid the price for all your sins. When you commit your heart to him, when you lay on him your sins, all your sins, Jesus takes them all. And he took them to Calvary and he nailed them to that tree. Jesus counted it a joy set before him that he could nail our sins to that cross. And so Matthew, what a beautiful view he has of the church. We're, we're those who abide in Christ. Jesus is everything. He's our foundation. He's first in our lives. As Matthew earlier said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus must be first in the life of the believer. Not the last bit of the week that we throw that our own wants and our own priorities come first and then we'll give the Lord Sunday. We'll go to church on a Sunday. Like in Malachi, there in the Old Testament, we're told that they gave the leftovers of their tithes. Basically, it was just the pennies left at the end of a week they would throw into the collection. And God spoke in Malachi's day and he reminds them, you've robbed me. It's not as if God needs our money. He doesn't need our tithes and our offerings. He wants our hearts. But often the way we give in worship, even in, in our giving of finances, in the way we give of our time and our talents, that's, that shows the Lord where we've placed him in our lives, what we give to him, even through the week. Look at your week. What do you give to the Lord? Or is it the leftovers on a Sunday. And so Matthew brings us back, reminds us again, the church, oh, we must get back to Christ. We must fall in love with him again. He must become our first love and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And now Matthew surveys the wondrous cross. As we now come into verse 21, I want you to notice that as Matthew now views the wondrous cross, notice in verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. 
Notice in that quiet place, Jesus begins to teach his disciples about the cross. And so we notice the teaching of the cross. Here's the disciples, they've been longing for the kingdom to come. They were convinced that Jesus was about to usher in the fullness of the kingdom and that Rome would be cast out forever. So the excitement's been growing in Matthew's gospel to see the kingdom. Yes, we're to seek first the kingdom. Can you see the disciples now? Oh, when's it coming? When's it going to all happen? When's Jesus now going to take his place in Jerusalem? When's he going to be established King of kings and Lord of lords? And so the excitement builds. Look at when you go through from chapter 13. The multitudes are now listening and following Jesus. In chapter 14 of Matthew, we find Jesus feeding the 5,000 and more. And there in chapter 14, Jesus walks on water. And the religious leaders there in chapter 15, they're rebuked with such authority. No one has authority like Christ. And so you can see the heart of the disciples. Oh, it must be coming. Jesus is going to reveal himself as the king and he's going to win the day, our champion. And so they thought the kingdom was now going to be established. They were on the brink of a new dawn. A new day was about to come. And what does Jesus do? He teaches them about the cross. He said, yes, my kingdom is coming. But when my kingdom comes, you first must of all walk the road of Calvary. For glory to come. The road of Calvary comes first. And so Jesus begins to teach them. And he gives, gives them the shocking news that he has actually come to die. He will be killed. The street from Pilate's Hall to Calvary is called the Via della Rosa. But you know, Calvary Road extends from the manger to Calvary. All his life, Jesus walks Calvary Road. He would take our sins to the cross. This is why he came into this world, to die for us. And so he begins to teach his disciples, Calvary Road must come first. I must suffer and die, but then on the third day I will be raised. And now as Jesus teaches about the cross, notice the reactions to the cross. Peter didn't want to hear anything about it. <laughs> you will not go to that cross. You are not going to die. And you can see Peter in all his arrogance. He doesn't get it. Peter, he just doesn't get that vision yet. He hasn't got that revelation yet. The cross must come. Go back in Matthew. Do you remember when Jesus was being tempted by Satan to not go to the cross? 
And Jesus had to say to Satan, away with you, get behind me, go away. And here, it's as if Satan comes again, like in the temptation, but he uses Peter to distract Jesus from the cross. The world hates the cross. The world would prefer a different road for us to take. To get to heaven, oh, you don't need the cross, the world will tell us. You can take the dual carriageway. If you take a dual carriageway, you can go in any direction. It doesn't matter which direction. Just enjoy the journey. Or maybe the motorway. Doesn't matter which lane you're on. You'll get there in the end. That's the road the world wants us to take. And the world loves roundabouts where we go round and round and round and we can go off at different junctions but then we come back onto the roundabout again. We may go round the roundabout, we can go off, in, off to church in one junction, come back on, go into the world at another junction. We can live so godly on a Sunday and then come back onto the roundabout again. And then we can go off living like the devil through the week. <laughs> what reactions to the cross? But you know, Jesus teaches his disciples here, you need the cross. We must take Calvary Road. The need of the cross. Why? Why are we to go on that journey to the cross? Because the cross highlights the seriousness of sin. When we look at Jesus on that cross, yes, we rejoice that he took our sins, that he loves us so deeply, that he was willing to die for us. Now that's lovely and it's so true and our hearts should warm to Christ for doing that for us. But the cross also reminds us how serious sin is. That Jesus couldn't take any other way. It was the only road in order for us to get to heaven. For us to know eternal life with God. We must go through the cross. There was no other way. It's the only way that sin could be dealt with. That our sins could be forgiven. That we can experience mercy and grace. And the love of God. Calvary is the only way. It's a single track road. Matthew tells us earlier in the gospel. It's a narrow way. It's not a broad way that leads to destruction. It's a narrow way that will lead you into life eternal. Jesus had to suffer and die. We're told at the hands of religious people. And Satan himself tries to encourage Jesus to avoid the cross. Oh, there are many reactions to the cross. But now notice in verses 24 to 27, Jesus now gives the demands and the rewards of the cross. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it.
Yes. The Calvary Road. It's a road of surrender. To surrender our hearts to the Lord, to his will, to his purpose. Notice Jesus as he prays in Gethsemane, thy will, not mine. If I must, Lord, I'll take the cup of wrath. I'll take the cup of suffering. Lord, your will, not mine. Calvary Road is a road of surrender. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, reminding them that Jesus came and made himself a servant. He didn't count it it robbery to be equal with God, but to come down and to die for us, to be obedient even to death on the cross. Calvary Road is a road of surrender. Calvary Road, we notice in verses 24 and 25, it's also a road of sacrifice. We're to deny ourselves and to take up the cross. In this world, Jesus said, we will suffer. We will know storms and we'll know trials. We'll know the ups and downs in life. We can have awful days at times. We can lose, yes, loved, loved ones. We can find our hearts broken in one moment, but yet knowing such peace, such joy, such love in Christ. Yes, the Calvary Road, it's a road of surrender, but it's a road of sacrifice. We're to deny ourselves and to take up that cross. But notice the Calvary Road is also, it's a road of service. I love verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. The Calvary Road Yes, it's a road of surrender. It's a road of sacrifice. It costs us to follow Jesus. Being a Christian isn't the great, that's me, I'm, I'll never sin again. I'll ask Jesus into my heart and that's it. doesn't matter what I do in life. It doesn't matter if I go on sinning. doesn't matter. I, at least at the end of the day, God will say, you're forgiven because of what Jesus did on the cross. No, that's not a follower of Christ. A follower of Christ is one who is on the road to Calvary, who knows a road of surrender. Yes, they've surrendered their hearts to Christ, but they also know a road of sacrifice. They're not living for themselves anymore. They're actually denying themselves. They're living for Christ. The way they speak, Christians, the way we act, the way we live, ought to reveal to the world that we love Jesus. The world should be able to say of, the, of Christians, see how they love one another. And oh, see how they love Jesus. That's what they should see in the believer. And the believer, yes, he's on a road of surrender. He walks the road of sacrifice, but oh, he walks the road of service. He lives for Christ. Why? Because, yes, Jesus died for them. Christ died for us. And therefore, it's a joy to serve the Lord. He's forgiven me all my sins. Isn't that amazing? You can say today, if you've put your trust in Christ, he's cleansed you of all your sins. 
Therefore, we don't serve the Lord because we hope that at the end of the day we'll be forgiven of our sins. No, the Christian is someone who's already been forgiven of their sins, who've trusted the Lord. They've trusted in his mercy and love. So we're already forgiven, but because of that, we now love him and we want to serve him. And so the road now that we live as Christians is the road of Calvary. It's a road of service. And so, yes, in a sense, we live looking back. We look back to the cross and we give thanks and we say, Lord, I love what you did for me there. Calvary, I love what you did for me there on that cross. Lord, you, you took all my sins. You took all my pain, all my hurt, all my anger, all my bitterness. You took all that for me. Lord, I want to live for you. But you know, the Christian isn't someone who just looks back. The road of service also looks forward. I love how Jesus tells his disciples, yes, you're to deny yourselves, you're to carry the cross, but remember, I'm coming soon, and I'm going to reward you. The angels in glory are going to come with me, and oh, we're going to give you such an applause. You are going to be rewarded for living for me, for putting me first. I know it's been a costly life, and it is a costly life. It's a life of sacrifice. It's a life of surrender. It's a life of service, yes, to live for the Lord. Lord, there's no retirement, as Alan Ward shared last Sunday. The believer doesn't retire. <laughs> we live for the Lord until he calls us home. And the Lord says, oh, I will be bringing a reward with me. You will be crowned on that day. The road of Calvary. Jesus had to take the road of Calvary. He took the road of surrender, of sacrifice, and of service. He's our servant king. But we are also to take the same road, the road of surrender, the road of sacrifice. We're to deny ourselves and carry our crowns, and we're to serve him. Can I ask you this morning, what road are you on? You know, sometimes Christians, yes, we can be on the road to Calvary, but sometimes we can get distracted. We can often veer off as well. We can take a junction and end up on a roundabout and we go round and round and round. Or we can end up on a motorway or a dual carriageway. But today is your heart. Lord, help me to find that road again. Help me back to that narrow way that leads me to the Lamb. Is that your heart today? Oh, for a closer walk with God. Oh, to know that calm heart that leads me to the Lamb. Is that your heart? Oh, I pray it is. I know it's my heart. I often go off and get distracted too. You're not alone. <laughs> I often end up on many other roads too. Some roads I think I'm serving the Lord on. But then I have to remind myself, Lord, it's not about me. It's about you. Oh, bring me back. And so, if that's your prayer this morning, then please, let, let's just join our hearts as we pray together. Let's pray. Lord, 
We ask that you would just bring us to your heart here this morning. Help us to know again, Lord, that life of surrender, that life of sacrifice, and that life of service. Lord, help us to deny ourselves and to carry the cross. And Lord, how we praise you for what you've done for us. And therefore, out of absolute love, we want to serve you with all our heart. And therefore, Lord, please keep us near the cross. Lord, that's where our glory lies, in the Christ of Calvary. And so, Lord, this day, as we pray for ourselves, Lord, will you cause your Holy Spirit just to fall upon us, fill us with your, your peace, your love, your mercy. Lord, deliver us from anger, from bitterness, from sin. Lord, cleanse us afresh. Lord, may today be a brand new day for each one of us. Lord, where we feel again brought back onto the road of Calvary. But Lord, we thank you that the road of Calvary, just, it doesn't just take us to the cross. It brings us, it's the road to glory. It's the road to glory. And so, Lord, as we pray, we also, Lord, lift up our loved ones. Lord, we pray for those we care about. We pray for our families. We pray for our friends, our neighbours. Lord, we pray for our streets that we belong to. Lord, we pray for our communities, our towns, our villages, our cities. Lord, we also lift up the nations of the world to you. As we remember the Ukraine, Lord, we also remember Russia too. Lord, we, rem we remember every nation that knows such horror and the bitterness of war. Lord, may the Prince of Peace be revealed in these nations. Lord, touch the hearts of leaders. Soften them, Lord. Oh, that they would taste and see that God is good. Lord, take away all filth, all envy, all hatred. Lord, in a moment of time, would you flood the nations with love and mercy. Lord, we read in the news every day of sad stories. Lord, will you fill the sadness with the sweetness of Christ. Lord, bring hope. And Lord, as we pray for the world and every nation, Lord, we pray for the church. Lord, oh, how we need revival. Lord, we need an outpouring of your Holy Spirit again to pour upon the church, upon your people, Lord, that we will feel life again and that you would flood church buildings 
with your presence with such joy and with such power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, may heaven come down and glory fill the church. And Lord, help us to go from this place to serve you, to have a passion for your name, a passion for your glory, And so, Lord, hear all our prayers as we give thanks for our, the tithes and the offerings that we bring here today. Lord, we bring them for you, for your glory. May they be used for the extension of your kingdom. And so, Lord, hear all our prayers as we do offer them in Jesus' sweet and precious name. Amen. So may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the love of God our Father and the fellowship, comfort and power of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore.